Hey man, what's up, Hudson Valley? How you guys doing? Great to be here together with you guys this morning. Uh, and like you know, Ryan and Ryan, everybody has said it's been a busy couple weeks for us. Uh, it's amazing that I'm still standing here before you today. I think I'm running on pure adrenaline uh, because these last couple weeks we had teen camp, which we direct. So we were there a week with yo kids, right? And you know how hard that is. But no, we had a really, really fun time. And then a week later, I don't know whose idea this was, they decided let's have a congregational worship service. I think Sam Powell and Larry Craig are trying to kill me, uh, but it's okay. It was great. But actually between some of those things, you know, that I'm involved in and blessed to be a part of, uh, Manami and I, my wife and I, we actually celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary. So the night, I love you, baby, the night before the big service, we got to go out and celebrate, and that was great. And then actually, yesterday, August 31st, that was my 14th spiritual birthday. So yesterday, I got to celebrate 14 years in Christ. Uh, so August 31st, 2005, I was baptized into Christ in Princeton, New Jersey, and I believe our Princeton grad over here, I think, Ryan, you might have been there. Were you there? I think Ryan was probably there, and also Carlos Rodriguez, who I think Carlos and Tony just moved to this region, if you know them, but two of my best friends, I mean, uh, Ryan and Carlos were both groomsmen in my wedding, uh, and Carlos I go way, way back with, and then Ryan, as we got to college, spent a lot of time together. Uh, you know, Ryan would come up and stay at my dorm sometimes after we had campus events, and I remember one night after the uh, campus event, you know, he was staying, my other roommate was out, and so I was, I was being a, a loving, you know, brother hosting him, and I let him stay on the bottom bunk, and I stayed on the top bunk, and I remember, I had, you know, you're talking before bedtime, and you're like, you know, you know, how's it going, bro, what'd you think, how was your day, and, uh, you know, I had noticed during the event that night that there was a certain sister that Ryan was kind of spending a lot of time with, and I was like, Ryan, I know who you like, and he's like, no, you don't, you don't know who I like. And I was like, no, no, I know who you like. It's Lauren, isn't it? And he's like, shut up. And he kicks, and he kicked up, and he hit the bottom of the bed so hard, and he didn't realize it had these, like, metal springs. He actually cut his toe really badly on the underside of the bunk bed. And I'm a, like, poor college student with no Band-Aids, and so we wrapped his toe with printer paper and, like, masking tape, and poor Ryan was walking around. But I was there. I knew when Ryan first you know, fell in love with Lauren. It was an amazing thing to watch and now to see them with their beautiful kids and another one, which is, we're so, so excited about that. And uh, Carlos Rodriguez and I, we grew up together. We were in, you know, now you have, you guys are so blessed to have Carlos and Tony. And she can sing like nobody's business. You gotta have her sing because Tony can sing. Uh, we've done a lot of th things together in the past. Uh, Carlos and I, you know, grew up going to kids' classes together. And uh, Margie Mitchell would put on these like uh, performances. And so I have a picture of Carlos and I, and I'm dressed up. We did like International Sunday, you ever done that kind of thing? And they like parade the kids around, and I'm dressed up like this like Scottish guy, and Carlos has a sombrero on, and we take this picture, and then Carlos is like, man, they keep putting this sombrero on me, I'm a Puerto Rican. <laughs> like, how did they realize this? So you gotta love Carlos, he always spoke the truth in love. But two of my, my best, best friends, it's great to be among friends and, uh, you know, great to be among you guys, many friends here and people that we've served alongside for many years. Um, you know, two weeks after teen camp, when I went as a camper, because I went as a camper from pre-teen camp, you know, all the way through uh, teen camp, two weeks after camp, uh, when I was a junior, I was going into my senior year of high school, is when I studied the Bible and I got baptized. And so now every couple weeks after a camp is when I celebrate that time. Uh, but I'm saying that to say that God used camp 
to change my eternal course, to change the direction of my life. And that's why Manami and I are so passionate about youth ministry, because it's literally where you see our youth go one way or another, you know? And, and God can do amazing things later in life. Don't get me wrong. Teens is not, you know, we believe that, you know, as long as our kids are alive, there is hope. But it's an awesome thing when you see a young person become a Christian. And I want to thank everybody in here, whether you're a parent and you raised the money to send your kid to camp or whether you volunteered. Beverly is incredible. She is amazing. I don't know where you are, but I love you. She's awesome. Thank you for serving. I said it last week and I'll say it again and I'll always say it because you guys have no idea. Lance, I'm glad you went and got a taste of it. You know, Ryan Irby and I used to do, and I think Ryan McCullough and I at one time, you know, we would do teen camp, counsel that, and then counsel preteen young teen camp and do it back to back. That is crazy. It is camp on steroids. I do not recommend it. It was crazy. By the end of it, we were like, what's your name? You know, who are you? Where am I? It's like, it was nuts. I can't even tell you some of the things that these kids did. It was nuts. Now, like they said, Manami and I, we moved to New York City in the three days between Christmas and New Year's. It was nuts, to say the least. On Christmas Day, we were opening presents, and we had no bags packed. And by three days later, I had the flu, and we were moving to New York City. It was nuts. And those are supposed to be like holiday days. We were moving for the gospel, and it was great. We've been in Manhattan for about nine months now, and let me tell you, life is good. We are loving it in Manhattan. People have been asking us yesterday, we were at a party with the teens, and someone said, do you like being in Manhattan? I said, like is an understatement. We are loving it. It's incredible. We love New York City. We love the whole tri-state area. This, this is beautiful. This is incredible. We're so blessed to live in the part of the country that we live. And uh, we love being in Manhattan. Our daughter, Emmy, she's three, and she starts school this week. She starts 3K, which we're very, she's so excited about school. And then my son, Thor, he's about one and a half, and he doesn't know what's going on. He just likes to eat everything in his sight. He will eat your food, so don't let him near it. He's like a dog. It's like, no, no, down boy, get away from the table. He will try, he will try to eat it if there's food. He's all about it. Now, I heard that your guys' theme was connect. Is that your theme? So we're going to talk about connect today, because that's your theme. And I want to encourage you guys to start off, you guys are connectors. This ministry, you guys are such connectors. And I really want to lift you up for that, because you do an incredible job connecting with others, whether it's people in the community, whether it's within your church here, whether it's serving the New York City church at large. You guys are amazing relational connectors. This church is phenomenal. You know, every time I see that you're called on to serve, you guys do incredible things, passionate about Hope Worldwide and serving. You know, whenever we have a lock-in, a lot of you guys stay overnight to help serve the youth, and we really, really appreciate that because you guys are connectors, and you love serving God and love serving people. You love serving one another and the community. Jesus was all about connecting, wasn't he? Jesus was a connector, and that's why crowds of people gathered around Jesus, because they just wanted to touch him. They just wanted to be connected to Jesus, because he was a connector. Jesus was connecting. He was all about connecting people to God, you know, as a priest, the pontifex, and also to one another. And that's what we sang the song about, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We can get disconnected, can't we? So easily over stupid stuff. Stupid, stupid things disconnect us. Even the closest family relationships, we get disconnected because things happen and life happens 
and uh, we're going to talk about why. But we're going to read the parable of the rich fool, and we're going to talk about some people that had gotten disconnected. If we want to connect, we've got to learn about, well, what are things that disconnect us? Luke 12, 13 through 21, we're going to read this. It says in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Does that sound familiar? But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Wow. What a storyteller Jesus was. Do you think that got people's attentions as they listened to that story? You know, and it's easy. I know when I focus on that part where God speaks to the man, and it's pretty, it's, uh, pretty intense, right? But I think that it's cool. We're going to break down some of the other parts of the story because I actually think that there's some other points Jesus really wanted to make. It wasn't just about demanding someone's life from them. That's not the kind of God that we serve. But he's trying to teach us another lesson here. It's an amazing parable. Do you realize that there are actually two stories going on here? It's like a story within a story. It's like Inception. Jesus, dream within a dream, story within a story. Jesus before Leonardo DiCaprio. Let me tell a story within a story within a story. That was what Jesus did, a master storyteller. So we start off with Jesus and a crowd around him like normal. And a man in the crowd says, teacher, tell my brother. Hey, tell him what? Tell him he needs to do this. Tell him divide the inheritance. You know, the custom of this time would be that the, the firstborn would get the priority. We know the story of Jacob and Esau. And the blessing, usually a priority would go to the firstborn. It was cultural in the Middle Eastern culture in first century. So the firstborn would have had to consent to divide the inheritance. And most of the time, the inheritance that they'd be getting was land. It's not like they had Wells Fargo, Bank of America, you know. They had sheep and goats, you know, and they had, like, land. So they were land rich. And the fact that this man was asking Jesus to divide the inheritance, you know, we can use some deductive reasoning here and figure out, well, what was this meaning? And it's possible, number one, there's a good possibility that the guy that was asking was the younger sibling. He was not the older sibling. Because if he was the older sibling, he wouldn't be asking Jesus. He'd have had his land and he'd be happy, right? So there's a good possibility this was not the oldest sibling. Number two, there's a good possibility that the oldest sibling didn't want to split the inheritance. Because if he did, then the younger brother wouldn't be there saying, Jesus, can you help us out? Can you divide the inheritance between us? And another thing that we can deduce is that the fact that he was asking Jesus to do this for the inheritance to be divided 
It showed that the brothers were divided. Do you see what I'm saying? Before the inheritance was ever divided, the relationship was divided. Their relationship was divided. They were disconnected. It's your theme, right? Connected? These guys were disconnected. They were more concerned, this guy was more concerned that the inheritance be divided than that his relationship with his brother was in shambles. You know, we got to think about what about today? What kinds of things divide people today? What kinds of things divide us? What kinds of things divide brothers and sisters and divide us in the world today? We can think of a big one, politics. I said it. Politics divides people. But when has politics ever given a good solution for our lives? I don't care if you're on the right or the left. Jesus is the answer. And don't get me wrong, you got to have your opinions and you got to research and learn. But when we get too caught up in that stuff, we're divided. Do not let your politics divide you from your brother or your sister. They are more important than that thing. Because that thing is still going to be there and people will still be arguing about it on TV. But you and your brother's relationship and your sister's relationship is more important. Culture divides us. Different cultures. I love learning about all different cultures and becoming a part of different cultures. Like Paul says, I become all things to all men. But culture, we feel uncomfortable. That's not really the way I do things. And we got to be willing to do things the way somebody else might do it. The color of our skin divides people out in the world. Praise God. But even in the church, we got to be careful because we are brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. We're all equal under God. Socioeconomic status. Who's got how much money, right? In the church, doesn't matter, right? Also, you know, just gossip and hearsay, talking about people behind their back, that divides people. You know, we got to be careful not to let these things divide us. We're brothers and sisters. Now, human nature is that we're very quick to assume and to judge, right? Well, I heard this, and, and it just goes fast, doesn't it? As soon as you think you heard somebody said something about you, you're like, I hate them. I don't like them anymore. Can you believe what they said about me? But look at Jesus. You know, we got to slow down and gather info, and let's imitate our Savior. Let's give the benefit of the doubt. Jesus had someone coming to him, asking him to judge, and Jesus said, man, who appointed me a judge between you? Jesus had the chance to judge and says, no, I'm not going to do it. You know, sometimes it's not even put before us and we go out of our way. We're busybodies trying to judge people. And we got to stop and be like Jesus and stop judging and start loving. You know, instead of judging, Jesus tells a story. And he says, there was a rich man. So he starts off with this story. There was a rich man. We got to note that this was not a rags to riches story. You get what I'm saying? The guy started off rich. It wasn't a success story, and he started poor and came from nothing and started from the bottom, now we're here. This was, he started off rich, and he gets more. This is a riches to riches story. But the abundance that he had, it was a gift from God. You know, it says he had a plentiful harvest from the ground. That was God. That wasn't what he did. You know, he did some work. Sometimes, you ever relate to this? Sometimes we work really, really hard, and very little happens. Sometimes we don't work hard at all and very little happens. Other times we work hard and there's big returns, you know, and other times we don't work hard at all and there's big returns. It's like the four quadrants, right? Who can really determine? So we just got to work hard and then success, I heard someone say once, is when uh, preparation and opportunity meet. But, you know, here, this guy, he didn't necessarily deserve what he had. And he loses sight of this. 
in verse 17 through 19, you know, after he gets this, this big surplus and after he gets this abundant harvest, this blessing from God, it says he thought to himself, what shall I do? Notice, the, notice what I emphasize here. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store up my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Who is this guy's focus on? He, and, and check it out. It says he thought to himself. You know, it's also he said to himself. He dialogued with himself. You ever talk to yourself? Hmm, what am I going to do today, you know? Or what do I want to eat? What do I want to eat for lunch? You ever stand in front of the refrigerator? And this is what he's doing. But he makes a unilateral decision on his own without talking to anybody. And it shows that he was alone relationally. He was disconnected. You know, an interesting thought here is that generally, the more money people have, the farther they withdraw from their neighbors, right? People buy private islands, remote homes, there's isolation. And it's very possible that this man lived outside of town and away from community. Think about where was his family? Where were his friends? He's the only person in the story. You know, where were the other people to say, dude, don't be greedy? Where were the people that could say, you can help a lot of people with your surplus and you'll still be okay? You know, remember, his needs were already met. He already had enough. He started out the story rich. So it wasn't like he was in need. And he gets what he thinks is a great idea. You ever talk to yourself and think, man, this is going to be a really good idea. And later you realize, no, it wasn't. And I wish I would have talked to somebody about that. So he says, I'm going to build bigger barns, right? American culture, let's go bigger. We're going to make it better. It's going to be the best, right? You realize that now you realize he was really disconnected from community. In the Middle East, in Jesus' day, you just didn't build structures by yourself. It was a family affair. It was the community working together, even family structures. A lot of times in, in U.S. culture, when people get married, they move out of the house. Over there, they just built another room onto the house. You know, this was a different cultural and a different setting. It's kind of like a barn raising. Picture like some Amish community, right? Everybody working together to raise it up and to build the building together. But not this guy, right? He's thinking, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it by myself. This man's issue wasn't his wealth. Wealth is not bad. Wealth is a gift from God. Money is not evil. Money is not bad. This is the love of money, right? It wasn't that he owned property, and it wasn't his abundance. that You know, that was all from God. The real issue was that this rich man failed to recognize that he was accountable to God for what he owned, even his own life, and God had the right to demand it back from him. He had an abundance of possessions, a surplus. But the issue was, what did he do with his excess? Not even his basic needs, because his basic needs were met. But what did he do with his excess? He had the opportunity to share. He had more than he needed. But he chose to be greedy and to build up for himself. You know, why did he want to keep hoarding his wealth? Maybe ask that question, well, why? Why do you, if you knew you had all, the, all that you needed, why do you keep hoarding your wealth? Well, it's human nature. You know, I think we have a deep and irrational fear of never having enough. When I come up, I, I just thought of this right now, but whenever I play guitar, I have got like 20 guitar picks in my pocket. Like, what if I lose one? And like, then they're all in the wash. You know, I'm like, man, how'd I forget that in my pocket, you know? But it's like, you know, I usually keep a bunch because we have a fear. What if I'm unprepared? You ever feel that way? 
like the preppers, right? There's people that they're getting ready for like, what if, what if this, what if that, you know? There's a deep rational fear. How many TV shows have we watched about hoarding, right? And all the, the storage wars and the bins and different things. Manami and I like to watch a show on Netflix called Tidying Up. You ever seen this? With Marie Kondo, Japanese people, yeah, woohoo! Come on, Japanese people. And uh, my wife is from Tokyo. And you know, it's, she's this little Japanese woman, and she's so gentle and delicate, but she helps people, and you know, to actually tidy up their cluttered home. And she's got this like multi-step method of how to organize your stuff. But it's actually really personal because you realize these people are hanging on to this stuff for various emotional reasons. You know, people's houses are so cluttered. You know, we don't know how to part ways with our stuff. You ever been there before? It's got so much stuff, so many knickknacks. You know, it's not like it's garbage or junk. I mean, it really might have a value to you. I don't want to call it junk. It's just stuff. And we're just cluttered with all of these things. And some of it is more valuable than others. Some of it is very expensive. We like toys. I love guitars. Don't ask Ryan or Carlos how many I have or my shrine that I used to have in my house with all the guitars on the wall. But we love things, right? And we don't know how to part ways with it. We feel like, well, what if I need it? right? What if something happens and there's a time where I'm actually going to need this? You know, these people, they have these big houses full of stuff and clutter. And I think about our experience because we downsized moving to Manhattan, right? So we moved from three bedrooms to two, I would call it one and a half. One bedroom is actually a bedroom, like literally bedroom. That's really all you can fit in there, you know? But it was so refreshing because it forced us to trim down to only what we needed, and I learned through this process that, you know, we actually don't need as much space as we think we do. And it's not wrong to have space. Don't get me wrong. You know, a lot of you are using your space in incredible and amazing ways. But I am saying I learned that I had a lot of stuff. I had two and three of some things. While there's other people that don't have any of that. You know, and it really made me convicted. You know, I would hold things and think about what sparks joy. You ever wa if you watch the show, you know, she'll tell them, like, hold this thing and think about it. Does it spark joy? And if not, you know, toss it in the other pile, give it away, sell it. But it actually is cleansing to get rid of these things, right? And so I kept reminding myself, even the hard ones, where I'm like, oh, I really don't want to lose this. I would remind myself of Jesus' words in the story. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed, because there are many kinds. Not just one kind of greed. He says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You've got to remember that our material things, they're just things. They're just stuff. But it's not more valuable than people and than relationships. How do you measure your worth? Do you measure it by how much stuff you have? I know we've all heard the whoever dies with the most toys wins bumper sticker. But how do you measure your worth? Maybe it's not stuff. How many degrees you have, is that how you measure your worth? Your title at work? Your net worth? The world tells us that the more we have, the more we are worth. But God says, you are worth everything to me just the way you are. You are worth everything to me when you came into the world, when you were born as a baby, naked, and you'll be worth the same when you die. God loves us no matter how much stuff we have. No matter how much money we have, whether I went to college, I didn't go to college, where I grew up, where I didn't grow up, what, I, what school I went to, God loves you no matter what. The world tells us more money, more stuff, bigger house, nicer clothes, nicer car, and Jesus says that is not how you measure your worth. The rich man chose to hoard his excess and his abundance. What about us? What do we do with our excess and with our abundance? 
You know, we're a tight-knit group, aren't we? We're a great church, great relationships, and there's a lot of richness, not just money, but richness of love and of incredible things. Some of y'all can cook, and I know because I've been to some of those potlucks. We are tight-knit, this church especially. Do we let other people in? Are we inclusive of visitors and those not yet a part of our fellowship? Do we bring them in? Or are we comfortable? We don't, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone, right? That would be sharing in my abundance. That's sharing in my excess. I don't want to do that. I want to just hang and chill with my friends. You know, teens, I don't know where, you know, I see some of you back there. What's up, guys? These guys were balling, man. They're awesome on the court. They beat, I mean, I got to be humble. They beat the counselors. Every year we think, like, we can beat them and, like, we can't. So, you know, come on, RJ, way to go. Good job. But teens, you have been given a lot, not just athletically, but in your hearts and who you are, right? We've had a mountaintop camp. It was unbelievable. It was incredible. How can you help those at your high school to get in on the action, to not be on the bench anymore, but to learn about the kingdom of God? Tell your friends. Maybe it's telling your friends about Solid Rock. Maybe it's telling them about the teen rally we have at Six Flags. We have a Sunday service, October 11th, all the teens, families, and we're going to have the word of God preached, and we're going to have a fun time. It's going to be a great time to let people know about it. But how are we going to share in our abundance? Because you have been given a lot if you've grown up in this church. You know, how are we going to talk about the Bible with our friends? Maybe first you've got to read the Bible because you can't give what you don't have. You know, parents, we've got to remain relationally connected. We've heard it takes a village to raise a child. And that goes both physically and spiritually. You know, we can't be like this guy in the story and try to go off and build our kids' life and get them the scholarship and get them these things and get them everything in the world has to offer by ourselves. Parents, don't isolate. Get advice about your parenting decisions. Who do you have around you that you can say, hey, we were thinking of doing this, but it's going to mean missing that. What do you think about that? There are times where, yeah, you know, we're going to miss something from church, but there are other times we've got to say, where is our priority and where is our heart? You know, life moves fast, and I know because I have two little kids, and it's like, where did he go? You know, like, we're just kind of trying to keep these kids alive, and they're running around, and they're playing, and they think it's all funny until someone pokes an eye out, right? It's all fun and games. Life moves fast, and our kids run fast, and we're just tired from work. we got to have people around us helping us, people that we can bounce our ideas off of so we're not just like, yeah, I thought that was a great idea. Bigger bars, great idea. It's like, wait, wait, hold on a second, right? And they'll save you from many bad mistakes. Who do you have around you who can lovingly tell you, you know, I get the heart behind it, but that's maybe not the greatest idea. Maybe try this instead. Who do you have that can talk to you like that? You know, we surveyed the teens. Uh, I'm on the Youth and Family Committee throughout the whole ICOC, and another group surveyed a bunch of teens, and they asked them, you know, what's the number one thing your parents do to help you spiritually? What do you think they said? Some people thought, oh, maybe it's we have these great conversations, or we have quiet times together, or, you know, it's a, we spend all this time together. The teens said, the number one thing my parents do to help me spiritually is they make sure I get to church and to the meetings of the body and the teen events. They make sure I am there. Did you realize that's the biggest thing that you can do? That's what the teens are saying themselves. Get them around the body because it means you're having the conversations with them. And it means that you're spending the time with them. And it means that they're building the relationships that they need to build. But they said, Mom, Dad, make sure that I'm there, even in the times that I, I'm fighting you. I fought my parents tooth and nail. I didn't want to go half the time, but I'm glad that they lovingly, you know, decided to stay firm with me and lovingly would ask me and keep putting it out there to me. Because it gets discouraging as a parent. 
You know, as we close Hudson Valley, you are rich. You are so rich. And I'm not just talking about money. I mean, you are rich financially. Amen. Amen. However, you are rich with time. You got more time than you think. You are rich with experience. Many of you have been Christians many, many years. You are rich with spiritual knowledge. You're rich in love. I've experienced that. You're rich with compassion. You're rich in relationship. You are spoiled. You have an abundance. You have an excess. You are rolling in it. You're balling. You've got a surplus. Let's not just store it up for ourselves. Let's connect with community and be rich towards God and our neighbors. Amen.